0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless this time as we study your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you want us to see from this and help us learn what you care for us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, we need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it together all... All the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and work on your own hands as we have commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that they, and that you may lack, may have lack of nothing. But I would not that you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, nor that you sorrow not, even as the others have no hope. I'm going to stop there because that starts a whole nother thought. Uh, It's kind of interesting as we look at this, Paul is praising this church over and over again, and we've talked about this. This epistle is one where Paul is just saying, you know, when I think of this church, I'm thinking of a good church. (laughs) Okay, He gives them a little bit of instruction, but mostly he's giving praise. And verse 9 he says, but as touching brotherly love, I need not write to you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And this is uh, phileo loved uh, the love of brothers, and you know, and and family, you know, and people that like each other because they like each other. He goes, and he, this isn't an agape love that he's teaching. He goes, you have love to truly love each other, and he goes, I don't even have to talk to you about this. God has taught you to do this, and it's a beautiful thing when you can do have this kind of love and in the church where people actually like each other. They want to be with each other. And Paul's saying, you're this kind of church. And he goes, not only in the church, but you also have it for that entire Macedonian area. All right? Uh, and he says, and we, but, and this is kind of an interesting, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And this is an interesting statement. Paul is telling them do not be complacent with where you are keep going forward and this is the thing i keep saying over and over to our church we need to keep moving forward in all that we that faces us because we can get complacent and say okay god i've arrived i love people i'm i'm forgiving of people you know i'm generally nice to people i generally encourage people and god says yes but i want you to do it more and more. And this is a statement Paul uses often in this letter. Do it more and more. As much as he's praising the church, he's saying, go forward. Do not get complacent. Do not stop where you're at. Keep moving forward. Keep growing in love. Keep growing in kindness, grace, whatever, whatever measurement you want to get. We as Christians should keep growing deeper and deeper in that relationship because God is higher. And this is the beauty of it. God is our example of love. We learn to tolerate each other. We learn to be kind to one another. And God says, okay, now I want you to, to be able to do it when they're not being nice to you. I want you to, when they're, when they're actively being your enemy, I want you to learn to love them. And we're going, uh-uh, God, no way. And he goes, that's where I want you. You're doing, and God would probably say, you're doing good. You, you have come a long way. <laughs> but. <laughs> let, let's, let's get you even further. And this is God's great desire for us. This is Paul's dev- desire for this church. You all are doing really good. You love, you're loving the brethren. You're loving, you're reaching out, you're touching people. But do it more. Go to the next level. And we as Christians need to challenge ourselves and those, those that we're around in discipling. Don't get complacent. Keep moving forward. Keep stretching forward to the next level, to the next part. And it doesn't matter, he's talking about love here, but it could be anything. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, encouragement, service. Doesn't matter what it is, God's saying, take it to the next level. Keep going to the next place that there is to go. And then he goes in, in verse 11, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded. Don't be busybodies, <laughs> don't be watching everybody else. Go out and do your own work, grow yourself. This is probably, when we really take it completely, this is one of the hardest verses in this statement because he's saying, quit judging others, quit, quit looking at others, just mind your own business. And he's, this is spiritual business and physical business. But you know how many times, and we all fall into this trap, you know, looking at somebody, I'm going to just understand how they could be a Christian. Look how they're acting. Now, we don't know who they are, what they're doing. Even if we think we know and we still don't know most people enough to know why they're struggling in the areas that they struggle in. And this is something that we need to be very careful of. Sometimes it's the way they grew up, they are acting the way that they were shown by their parents or their grandparents or their family. Uh, and they're just acting that way. Even if if they know it's wrong, it's something that is ingrained into them, and they're acting that way. Or they're acting that way because it's learned by somebody else, and they just don't know any better. Or they know better, and it's hard to change. And we all know what it is. It's hard to change. Even when we know that we need to change, we kind of dread the change. (laughs) We're going, God, you know, I'm pretty critical of people. I need to learn to be less critical. And God says, you're right. So he's going to bring somebody that's going to be real easy for us to be critical of and keep reminding us that we're failing until we finally stop getting critical of that person. Then he'll put somebody else into our life that's even easier to criticize and say, are you going to win against this person? Are you going to be able to encourage? And in here he's telling you all are doing good. Verse 12, that you walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you lack, that you may have lack of nothing. Walk, our way of working and this idea of honesty, being pristine, all right? This honesty has this idea of being pristine. He's saying, don't go out and mistreat people. Walk honestly with them. And this is something that we all expect and look for. We're looking for people who are honest, that we know that if they say they're going to do something, they do it. We're looking for the, that their opportunities to regulate their life match what they say, and that they have no reason to need. And so this is what he's telling the people. You're not to be lazy. And this happens even in our world. People who walk, quote unquote, by faith, Don't have to go out and work. God will supply. And God's saying, I did supply. I gave you you opportunities to work. You didn't go out and work. And this is a balance. There are times when, yes, God will just reach out and give us something. But as I've said many times when I was walking by faith, my funds came by hard work. God would provide a job and I'd go out and do the job and the money would come in just in time. And this is something that Paul is telling them, be honest, go out and work. Another place he tells us that he who doesn't work doesn't deserve to eat. And who is he telling that? To the church. You've got somebody who's perfectly able and capable of working and they're not out working, the church does not owe them any, anything. Now if they're incapable of working, that's another story. Then we're then we're to serve them as the as the widows and the orphans and, and those in great need and we help them out. But if somebody's capable of working, then God says they're to get off their butt and work. This is why in in the Old Testament God provided for the, the widows and the orphans and the and all of those that were poor. He says, All right, owners of the field, leave the corners of your field and don't go back and reharvest anything that falls. So the poor could get up, walk the fields, and harvest the leftovers. Now granted, if somebody was lame or blind and couldn't get out there, then somebody would be taking care of them. And, that's, and God made provisions for them. He said, take care of them. And so here he's, but he's saying, if you're able to work, you know, don't be lazy. Get up and work. And in our day and age, a lot of people are lazy. They just don't want to work. They want people to help them, and just sit back on their backsides. And our government programs help encourage that. You know, you know, if you don't make, you know, because if you go on welfare and you start making money, they take money away from what the welfare gives you. To the point sometimes where it becomes not enough to cover the welfare, but they've taken so much that it's a pain in the neck on you. When I was on welfare for a short period of time, long, long ago. It got to, I started working, and they started taking it away, and they were giving me so little, it wasn't worth all the paperwork, so I stopped. Then they gave me a hard time about not turning in the paperwork. It's like, okay, you weren't giving me enough to make it worthwhile, so we stopped. But that is the way the world sets things up. The world sets things up for people to get lazy and indolent. God says, go out and work. Earn. Earn what you can, and then if you need help, the body of Christ can help you. But not to just stick around and sit on my backside, watching TV all day, and say, well, I need help. Well, what did you do to earn money? Well, you know, I kinda prayed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, did you go out and look for any work? Did you go out and do any work? Did you do chores for anybody? Did you do anything? And this is where Paul is saying to them, "Go out, serve that you will not be lacking." In the one city, Paul told, told the people that he didn't take any from them, anything from them. While he ministered, he went out and made tents. He earned a living. Another church, he said, "I didn't ask anything for you, but the church over there paid for me to be with you." And I took their money and he said, "I robbed them to, to help you." You know, Paul was out there saying, you need to earn a living. Do what you can. So we need to be able to say this help. Uh, The widows were told if they were young widows that the church was not to help them because they would get busybodied, They'd become busybodies. And then decide to get married anyway, remarried anyway. He says, if they're young, have them get remarried or, or work. But the church wasn't to take care of them. If they were older, they were to take care of them. You know, especially if they had no family, and, and they were told the family should take care of them first. And he said, if you're not taking care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. And this is something that's very important. In our day and age, we kick out our old people oftentimes and dump them into to, uh, convalescent homes and all these different things to say, ah, can't be troubled taking care of mom and dad. Yeah, you know, they took care of me all you know when I was you know, a, a, a kid, but I don't have to do anything for them. Not what God says. God says we're to honor our mother and father. We're to be respectful. Does that mean we obey everything they say when we're adults? No, but we still do it with honor. Even when we're in disagreement with them, we need to be honoring them even though we're disagreeing. And that is hard. It's hard for us to figure out how we can disagree with somebody and do it kindly, especially in our day and age. In our day and age, if people disagree with you and they can't defend their position... They attack you, and that's the way things are right now. You go to talk to somebody about abortion or 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 absolute truth or creationism over evolution. They don't have any answers to the statements that are made, and they start attacking you as an individual. Well, you're just so stupid you can't understand. You know, and they and they do these kind of statements, and it's it's sad. We have so many of the conservative talk show hosts that call people names that are the enemy. And my attitude is, you're on the strong position, why are you resorting to name calling? Be respectful, keep your position high, and quit falling into the gutter with these people. You know, and when we're talking to people, we need to have that, stay respectful. We can stay respectful and tell them that they're not right. You know I really understand that you think you're right, but this is the truth, and you're not you're not being and you're not following it and be respectful because the minute we start calling them names and making fun of them, we've lost all the credibility of what we've been saying, and especially if we're witnessing to them about God, we cannot be making fun of somebody who doesn't believe the way we are. we can't be attacking them name calling because it tells them that we're weak, and this is the problem. If we have a good argument, and we do as Christians, we have the truth on our side. All we've got to do is present it, and let the Holy Spirit do his work in their life, and we may not think like we're getting anywhere with people, but the good news is the Holy Spirit still works on them. Many, many times I've heard the testimony from people, and in the middle of the night, I was thinking about what that Christian told me, and wondering if it was true, and called out to God. You know, we never know who we're reaching. We will never know. But if we start making fun of people, and criticizing, and getting mad, we need, we've got to be very careful. Now I have, when witnessing to people, and they're saying, well, I have no desire, I have said things like, I just want you to know, when you stand before God, that note that on this day, you know, you know September 24th that." at 616, you were told about the gospel of Christ. You cannot stand before God and say you weren't told. But I do it very calmly, very, you know, it's not like, you know, attacking them with it. It's, this is the truth, you were told. We can be bold, we can be straightforward, we can be even aggressive to a point, but it must have respect (laughs) and honor. It cannot be an attack on them. Jesus got away with it, but he knew people's hearts better than we do. When he went after the scribes and Pharisees and told them they were uh, a brood of serpents and they were whitewashed (laughs) sepulchres, he could get away with it because he knew their heart. He knew who they were completely. I'm not going to try that because I don't know their heart. I might be talking to Nicodemus if I said that. uh, And Nicodemus had a heart to follow him. And Jesus was very easygoing on Nicodemus kind of hard, you know, you're, you know, aren't you a teacher and you don't know the simple things I'm teaching you? He was not real easy with him, but he also didn't attack him. And we need to walk in that path. You know, we can be somewhat aggressive but do not attack the person. Do not try to belittle the person. Make sure that they know that you have a strong point to be able to cross over to them. And here Paul is saying this whole thing that walk Kindly, do not misbehave um, and do not have any lack. All right, uh, verse uh, 13 and the rest of the rest of the chapter, and I want to talk quite a bit on this one because this is our verses that support the rapture. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, but you, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of the God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them that are in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Very powerful statement. Paul is reaching out to them and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant or unknowing of, uh, concerning those that are asleep or, or literally who have died. All right, uh, there was a big problem going on because the disciples themselves had a problem. They were absolutely convinced Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Now they're watching Christians die before Jesus has returned, and people are starting to say, Well, there's no hope for them. They're, they, they're dead before Jesus come, came. They're, they're, they're there for they're, that's, that's the end of them. Uh, and Paul is saying, No. <laughs> They weren't believing in heaven. Most of the Jews did not believe in, in a heaven or hell at, until the resurrection. Sometime in the future when the, when, the, when the Messiah came and resurrected everybody. And so there was this idea of soul sleep and policy. And Paul is saying when, they, when they have died, you know, I, I want you to know what's happening. I'm gonna let you know what's happening when they die that you sorrow not as those without hope. This is a statement that we need to grab hold of as Christians. When somebody dies and we know they're saved, we should not be sorrow. Now, we're, there will be sadness, obviously, if we're close to them. We're going to miss them. We're going to miss talking to them. We're going to miss being with them. But our sorrow should not be despair. They've gone home. This is why, this is why I love, rather than calling things a memorial or a, a a, a burial service or anything I love the term "homegoing ceremony because they went home I have told my family all of them my kids my wife everybody when I die I want a joyful celebration with the with praise music uplifting music I want everybody to know I went home there's no reason to be sad And I go, I recognize you're going to be sad because I'm gone, maybe, (laughs) but I want them to be joyful that I went home. And you know, this is what we as Christians in Psalms, it says that God delights in the death of his saints. Why? Because they're home with him where they belong. He delights in their death. And you know, we kind of say, boy, God, that's morbid. You're, you just can't wait for us to die. But he's going, no, you're now with me. You are in the real world. We kind of look, we look around at this world and consider this the real world in our flesh. But as Christians, our real world is what's coming. It is heaven. It is spending my eternity with God is the real world. This is just a temporary shadow of what's to come. And we need to be able to get hold of that, our shadow here. This is, this is just a shadow of what heaven and hell is going to be like. You know, and we've said this over and over. For us as Christians, this is as close to hell as we're going to be. Not that it is hell, but this is as close to hell as we're ever going to be. The sad thing is, for the lost world, this is as close to heaven as they're going to be. And it is a miserable heaven, but it is as close as they're ever going to see to heaven. And they're going to wish, when they're in hell, that they were back here. You know, Man, I just wish I was back on that earth where things didn't seem good, but man, it is so good compared to... Here, we'll be in heaven saying, wow, I am so glad to be away from earth. So much better being here. And this is what Paul is saying. Your hope. You have eternal life. And, the, and this idea is that eternal life begins the moment you're saved. We're not waiting to start eternal life. All right? We're not waiting for the day that I die so that I can start eternal life God gave us eternal life the moment we accepted Jesus Christ. He gave us a living spirit and our life eternal started right then. So when I die, all I'm doing is transitioning from this mortal coil where I have a body into the spiritual world without my body. Literally, in some of the ways that Hollywood shows it, where somebody just steps out of their body is valid, except that we don't stay here. We leave here and go into the presence of God. But what it is literally, look, wow, there's my body. <laughs> and I'm over here and looking for God. And you and know, I don't know if we're escorted by angels or we're met by our family at the, in heaven. It doesn't really matter because I'm looking for one thing that's to be in the presence of God. I'm looking forward to the time when I'll be in his presence, worshiping God outside of this time and time frame where we can worship for a million years and it'll only seem like hours, you know, if that long. Minutes, worshiping God. And this is what Paul is saying to them. And he says in verse 14, For if you believe... And this word for believe is to be persuaded of or convicted of, trust in something, you know, uh, to be impelled by a higher prerogative. It's a very deep word. Have a deep inner conviction. And this is really when God uses the word believe in the scriptures, he's talking about that deep inner conviction of the truth. It is not, well, you know, uh, I believe it might rain tomorrow. Okay, is that a hope, maybe, wish, or is it truly, you know, believing? You know, if we believe in Christ, we are saved. And that's not just a hope for belief. One of the things that happened a lot in the 60s and 70s, you would hear things like, well, you need to try Jesus. Well, that try is not believe for most of them. Now, God honored that prayer for a lot of people, and they truly, and he gave them true belief But there were a lot of people who go, well, God didn't work for me. I tried him. Uh, Well, no, God never told you to try him. He said, put your whole life in his hands. You don't try him. He's not on there for a trial basis. Try God for 10 days and get your money back if he didn't work out. That is not the advertisement that he gives us. Try God for 30 days and if he doesn't work out, go get another God. The new improved, the new improved version or something. But you know, too many times people kind of sell God as that. Give him a try, and he'll he'll fix your whole life. Now, part of the problem is the whole idea of fixing your whole life in the first place. And yes, that's true. But his idea of fixing our life is a whole different thing than what we think of because he's going to put us through all kinds of trials to fix our life. He's going to make life tough on us because he wants us to trust in him he's going to say do you trust in me in the trials that you are going through because we have too many people in our day and age and in the past selling a prosperity gospel you know just give your life to god and everything will be rosy and hunky-dory and you'll never have a problem in your life and you just pray to god and he'll he, he's your great big sugar daddy that will pass you all the stuff that you need and you'll never have a trial in your life. You know, and, they're going, and I'm going, what God are they worshiping? What God is it that they're following? Not the biblical God. And then what you do, if you teach that gospel, you're setting somebody up that when they do have a problem, as God said they will, they're going to say, well, I was lied to, God doesn't work. And they leave. This is sad. And I'm not saying they were saved or not saved, but they they were lied to. And if even if they were saved, and weren't taught, they're going to reject God at that point. Well, you know, hey, I didn't, you know, I had a hard time. I didn't get my bills paid this month, and God didn't God didn't give me the money I needed to pay my bills. He didn't give me the car. He didn't give me the Maserati that I wanted. He didn't give me my mansion on the hill that I wanted. You know, and this is important for us to teach people to look at God. And then he says, you you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which are asleep in Christ will God bring with him. So he's saying, even though they're dead, God is going to call them. Why? Well, for one thing, they're already there. Paul at another place says to be absent from the body is to be present with God. Their body is left behind, but they're already with God. And when Jesus returns on the first resurrection on the rapture, he's going to call their bodies to join them. And then our bodies and souls will be taken. One of the pictures we have of the rapture in in movies is that, that all of a sudden we just disappear. And everything else, you know, body, spirit, soul, whatever, just, you know, everything is taken away. I don't know what all is going to take away, but God's going to, this is the first resurrection. He takes all of who we are but he takes the bodies that are laying around. You know, and people kind of go, well, you know, this is one of the places where people go, well, I can't be cremated because I'll have ashes everywhere. Well, you know, the guys that were buried uh, 2,000 years ago, their bodies don't exist. <laughs> their bones don't exist, pretty much. Their, their bodies are all over the place because the nitrogen cycle took the chemicals of their body, put it back in the ground, and made, and made more grass, which became food for animals, which then became food for other things. So all of our body, God is not going to raise up the exact same body. He's going to raise up a glorified body for us. Not the same exact body we had. So when you're talking about the up right? So again, he's not talking about this body. He's not talking about this I'm glad he's not talking about this okay. body. Because if you're dead, yeah. you've you're, you got to get into science on here. My body has just decomposed and it has become part of... The bodies of other things. Yeah. The worms and the ants and everything that have consumed the chemicals that make up my body and drug it off has become part of them, which then gets eaten by the birds and the, and the other critters, which get eaten by the, by the mice and the rabbits and all that, which get eaten by the eagles and the foxes and all that, which get, you know. Our soul. So he is going to give us a glorified body that is different from what we have today. It's not this exact body. And we don't know what it's going to be. I really don't want to go to heaven in my 60-year-old body. I would like God to give me my 20-something body when I was in shape. Okay? Now, what body he's going to give me, I don't know. What we're going to look like in our glorified bodies, we don't know. I just know that it's got to be better than what I have now. As far as we can tell, they don't. They're in heaven in spirit, uh, waiting for the first resurrection of a body. body. And they don't need a body in heaven. We're not going to really need a body until we come back to this earth to reign for a thousand years. Because we're in the heavenlies, we don't need a body. And so this is what we're going to get, the glorified body. Paul's going to tell us at the end of this chapter, this is the first resurrection. The second resurrection is when all the people go to stand in front of the white throne judgment. That's not a resurrection we want to be part of. And they're going to have whatever body they—they probably will have the body that they had somewhat when they when they died, but again, that's for God to figure out. Let me get this straight: at the rapture, our body, soul, and spirit ascend. Are taken right, and the dead in Christ will get their bodies first. They will get their glorified resurrected body. That's How how does that work? I don't know. What yeah. will it yeah. it's but that is just yeah. Time. Yeah. It, I'm not gonna rule out something of that nature. Yeah. You know, Satan has all these little lies going out, but he knows what's going on, and maybe he it reveals us something that people will see. But the word here is that he snatches us away, so I think it's gonna happen so fast because he says I in a twinkling eyes. of an eye. Well, we know his body. He, has, he had a glorified body. Yeah. He got his glorified body when he was standing before the disciples. They recognized him, even though at times they did not recognize him. The walls were not an issue with him. Distance, I don't think, was an issue with him. But he could eat. He had a body that could have things that eat and, and whatever else that was involved with it. Mm-hmm. There's a verse that says that, yeah. It's about our DNA. We there? Well, tears in the bottle actually is that God cares about our sorrows and, and stuff because there's mythologies about collecting the so it's tears. Not uh, well, it's in the scriptures that God collects our tears. But I don't believe it's for t- DNA purposes. I just believe that He's, he's collecting them and saying, you, These are the people you cried over, but I, I'm aware of them. I, it's, it wasn't for waste that you cried those tears. Yeah. But it's not a problem to God to put their body back together. Yeah, but it's not be it he won't be not this body. Because in by scientific fact, He can't. Yeah. Now it'd be easier in cremated bodies because they're ashes. But, yeah. but if you scatter them, then I they become that. part. They become part of the re uh, the nitrogen cycle and get reused. So this is the thing that we have to look at because there's been people that say, well, I can't cremate a body because I got to make it, that would make it too hard for God to get the body back together to resurrect it at the, at the it. second t- coming. Put it together and get it like I know but again, the most important thing is it's not the same body anyway. It's, so glorified. it's a glorified body that we're, that we're taken to heaven with. Quite properly, still is. I mean, there's lots of Christian groups that have problems with being cremated because they don't understand that we're having a glorified body. And, if, and it's also a denial of what science says. You know, and, and this is why sometimes when people make this kind of statement, scientists laugh at them. You've been dead for 100 years, 200 years, and you think you're going to get the same body that's part of all of the a circle of life as, the, as it's been talked about. Yeah, but you would have to steal it from other people. Uh, no. <laughs> which really gets you into a kind of yeah. all right, my piece is now part of five other pieces. Okay, God, which one of us gets that piece? He's just making a new piece. That's it. he's, so he's, he's just making new making pieces. New pieces. He's making us a whole new piece. Yeah. Right. We are a new creation and we will be glorified. a new glorified body. Body's <laughs> yeah. So, but here we have him saying. Just because they're dead it's not going to prevent them from going to God. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel. With the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They will get their glorified bodies. Uh, And Jesus comes down. And this is where he doesn't come all the way down in this, this visit. He just comes down enough to call us. Takes us away and goes back to heaven when he comes back and touches the earth, is on his second coming at the end of the tribulation period. This is one of those things where, you know, this is where controversy comes in because people will tell you, well, there's no real place where it talks about Jesus making two trips. Well, this one obviously tells us this, and there's other places on this. Right? He, he descends partially down but not to touch the earth, calls us, in other words, he's leaving heaven into, into our realm and calling us, calling us with a great shout with the voice of an archangel and the archangel idea is that the archangel is going to speak in such a loud voice that everybody would hear at least all those that need to hear now the real question on this the voice shout of god do only we hear it because of our spiritually attuned ears I think so. or does the whole world hear it probably just us with our spiritually attuned ears Well, you never know, the amazing, uh, you know, come forth or come, come or whatever he shouts could be heard by everybody. I don't know. I'm not going to hold a strong stance on that. I've heard people argue both ways very strongly. Uh, I do tend to believe that it's probably just those of us with spiritual hearing hear it, uh, that we're used to hearing it and we go. And then in verse 7, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them that are in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with them forever this is where the one thing comes we hear the word rapture and the and people will say the word rapture is never in the bible and that is true the word rapture is not in the bible this word caught up is harpazo in the greek and it literally means to snatch away by force so Jesus is going to come and catch us up. He's just going to snag all of his people. You know, And almost, almost violently, we're just going to disappear by force. The word rapture actually comes from the Latin Bible. Because in the Latin Bible, they, they translated harpazo as rapturo. Which means to be caught up by force. And we have turned it into an English word, rapture. All right, which means to be caught up by force. (laughs) So we look at this word that God says we're going to be caught up by force and we'll be together with God in heaven for the rest of time with him, that we will not be separated Him, so we shall ever be with the Lord. Now we look at this and it's kind of an interesting thing because I'm going to give you some scriptures. I'm not going to turn to every single one of them. In Revelation 3.10, God says he keeps his saints from tribulation. This is true all through the scriptures. When God brings judgment on his people, he does tend to protect his righteous. Now, in the flood of Noah, God called Noah. He said, build a boat. And he protected Noah and his family. And anybody, I mean... Noah preached for 120 years to the people. Any one of them could have responded and gotten on the boat and been protected. God protected Lot when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And remember, Abraham said, God, are you going to destroy the righteous and the unrighteous? And God says, nope. And so he went in and took Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out. And of course, Lot's wife looked back with longing eyes and was turned into a pillar of salt. But God delivered the family. God has dealt, does that mean we don't suffer anything? No, we suffer frequently. The righteous do go through hard times. But the idea on this is when it comes to the tribulation period when Satan is given a much freer hand to reign, God is going to take his people and say, you're not going to have to go through this. You do not have to face all of this. Why do we say that? Because in the last verse it says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Yep, we're going to go through all these trouble and tribulations and then God's going to call us. That's comfort. (laughs) Well, it would be comfort, I guess, that God eventually is going to call us. But do I want to live through the whole tribulation period? There are, you know, these are things that we have as we go through. Uh, Luke 17 verses 33 through 36 talks about Jesus saying that there'll be two in the field. One will be taken, one will be left behind. There'll be two in a bed. One will be taken, one will be left behind. And this is the whole idea, again, of the rapture. You know, that God takes individuals who are saved and leaves everybody else behind. Uh, Mark 13, 32 through 37, talks about the sudden return of Jesus, the master in this case. And this is one of the things when we have a whole different opinion of the rapture. There's three basic, basic pictures of the rapture. Pre-rapture, where God takes us before, any, before all the trouble happens. Mid-rapture, well, sometime in the middle of the tribulation period God takes us. And then there's those really crazy people who believe that post-rapture, God doesn't come until after the, after the tribulation period, takes all those people up and comes back down. And then there are those who don't believe in any rapture. All right? And their newest one is the pre-wrath rapture, which is just pre, pre-tribulation, uh, because most of those who believe in tri- pre-tribulation know that we're going to go through hard times before God comes. But the tribulation hasn't started. Uh, the pre-wrath is kind of a position between pre-tribulation and mid-tribulation. Um, and it's very popular right now. Uh, I have vacillated over the years between pre and mid. But I have very much settled now on pre, pre-tribulation rapture because God does not bring, bring his people through wrath. Now, we go through hard times. We can go through judgment. But he doesn't bring his people through wrath. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it says that the taking of the, of the people will be in the twinkling of an eye. Now, the twinkling of an eye is very fast. <laughs> and God will come and say... You don't know when I'm coming. And Jesus told his disciples, when are you coming? Only the Father knows. And it is not for you to know. He says, we'll, we'll give you the signs. We'll give you signs. There will be people calling peace, peace. The, the people will be as the days of Noah. They will do what is right in their own eyes. They will be calling good evil and evil, evil good. There will be, will be no truth. There will be great evil in that day. Sounds very much like our day. But if you were in Roman days, you would have thought that sounded very much like the Roman days as well. you know, Because they were in the same ball, ball field. We don't know. We know we're close. I believe as many other great leaders that it is going to happen in our day. But so did Paul and Peter and John and Andrew, so did the first generation, the first AD founding uh, church fathers, they believed it was going to be in their day, so the second, you know, every generation has thought that it was going to be in their day because they could look at things that were happening and say people are evil, people are rebellious, people are turning away from God. Now we have a few other things in our ball court. Israel is a nation again. For the first time, In 2,000 years, they're a nation again. That's a big plus in our in in our side that God is coming soon. Scary thing is, there's a peace accord in the Middle East right now that's being signed by many of the Middle Eastern countries with Israel. You know, which is when we need read the next chapter. He says when people are calling peace, peace and safety. You know, it's kind of we see all these pieces coming together. Nations are recognizing that Jerusalem is the capital of Jerusalem again, finally. All right, there's all these pieces that the Bible said needed to come together for God to come, but we still can't say this is definitely the time, even though all the pieces seem to be coming together. We can get excited because the pieces are coming together, but we wanna be careful to not say it's absolute. We, we aren't gonna set times. I remember in 1988, all the Christians were really excited. Jesus was coming in 1988. Why? Because it said, that generation shall not pass that sees Jerusalem, Israel return. And 40 years was, was a generation in the Bible. So they're going, 1988, Jesus has to return. That's a generation. Well, obviously, he did not return yet. But it was kind of funny to watch people get excited. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus said, don't set times. We, you know, we don't know the time. He doesn't know the time. And yet, they're going to tell me exactly when? You know, uh, and there's been several times where we've come along, and you know that is a pretty important verse, you know that this generation shall not pass away when Jerusalem comes, but there's still the people alive that were born in 1948, around the world. Now so how long will it take? Well, we have at least until the last person who was alive in 1948 to die to be the generation. And that could be a long time the way people are living. <laughs> Uh, we may still have another, let's see, 48 with, with this. We might still have another 28 years at least. You now That's just 100 years. if they lived to be 110? And I'm still not going to put the date on that. Because there are people that say, well, Israel didn't become a nation until Jerusalem was recognized. We've got to be careful how we put these things together. Because Jesus told us the Father is the only one there's a beautiful song that I, that I used to love to listen to in, in, the, in the 80s. And Jesus, get your bride. And it's a picture of Jesus just being waiting, waiting for the Father to say, now's the time. Go get your bride. And the church is his bride, and you know, he's waiting. He's waiting to have that celebration and marriage stuff for the Lamb with his bride. And just waiting up there. And we're sitting here waiting. Revelation 2, uh, 20 verses 2 through 6 says that at that time when Jesus returns to reign for the, thousand year, uh, for the at the end of the thousand year reign that this will be the second resurrection as they go to the white throne judgment. That is when everybody who doesn't know Jesus is resurrected to stand before the throne white throne judgment and be condemned. Everybody standing at the white throne judgment is guilty. And will be sent to hell. And this is something that is very powerful. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 will tell us that he comes as a thief in the night. We don't know when he's going to come. Now we can prepare. We can know that he's going to be soon. But we'll still be surprised when he comes. And Matthew 24.42 says the same thing. No one knows the hour. (laughs) This is why it is very funny when people make these predictions and say... Jesus is coming at this time. Anytime you hear somebody say Jesus is coming at a specific day and time and maybe even hour and minute like some people do, they're lying. You know, They might have a lot of scripture. They might have a lot of places, but they don't know. And I don't believe that Jesus is going to honor their prediction because he says no one knows the hour. No one knows the day. We are really supposed to live like he's coming today and make our plans as if he's not coming. Jesus said, when I come, it'll be like the days of Noah where people were marrying and giving in marriage and partying and having, having activities, people and having children. When Jesus returns, even for the church, we will be having marriage ceremonies. We will be having funerals. We will be having births. We will be having, celebrating the, the birth of children the death of our family members. When Jesus comes, we will be going about our day like normal. Just like when death hits. It's a pretty amazing thing that people go, well, I'm too busy to die. Well, God really doesn't care about how busy you are. When it's time to die, you're going to die. It doesn't matter who, who you think you are, how important you think you are, how important others think you are. When it's time to die... You're you're going home, uh, and it's just that. And this is what's going to happen with the rapture. When it happens, we may have big plans. God, I, we've got a big revival coming up. You can't take me yet. There, we've got this revival ne- next week, and you're going and you're taking me now. And no, none of us, I think, are going to argue with him when he calls us. So oh, wait a minute, I got to make the bed. You know, but you know, but you know what I'm saying. You know, we're we're thinking we've got all these big things, and we're doing all these things for God, and. You know, God, you know, i got all these big plans, and God says, now's the time to come home. And we're going to go home and get our glorified body and have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Seven-year celebration in heaven with the groom while the world goes through tribulation. And the millennial saints preaching on this world, waiting for the justice when they're executed, Uh, well, there's seven years of tribulation on on the world, and I believe that seven years is seven years. Yeah, is it? Now? Is no time there's, yeah, there's... yeah, it'll be equivalent to the earth's time. It'll seem like just a week to us or so, but it'll be seven years on this world. Oh, so okay, it won't be like seven years in heaven, no, it'll be because Satan gets to run for seven years. How do we know it's seven years? Because in Revelation it gives us the days. And I can't remember what it is five thousand some some odd days for the first half, and five thousand some odd days for the second half. And those days, you know, people then go, "Well, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years." No, it's <laughs> it's not going to be ten thousand years that you know for the tribulation. It's seven years, and you know this is where we have to get to the place. One of the things that I have shared with you when I was going through school and I was taught how to trans, uh, to interpret the Bible. Rule number one, the Bible says what it says and means what it says, unless it's quite obvious that it's a symbol. So when the Bible says, like in, Reve- in Genesis, and so was the evening and the morning of the first day, it was one day. No matter how I want to try to figure out more time in that one day, it was one day. Uh, when it tells me that Elijah ran from, from Jezreel 120 miles away and get someplace else, he ran 120 miles how did he do that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It says that he did it. It's not figurative. It's not figurative language. Uh, when it says that Elijah called fire down from heaven, fire fell from heaven and burnt the, burnt the altar and everything else with it. Okay, It wasn't spiritual, spiritual deception on everybody's eyes. that looked like fire and everything just, you know, the magician made it disappear. All right? So there are things... Now, when the Bible says in Psalms that God is like a bird who wraps his arms around us, his wings around us, it is not saying that God is a great big bird in heaven, you know, waiting. He said it is, he is like a bird. Okay, it is making a simile, <laughs> saying you see birds gathering their chicks underneath their arms during storms. That's what God is like, wrapping us up in his love and his kindness. There are places where it is figuratively speaking, uh, there's other verses where they talk about how big God, how God stood on one shore to the other shore, you know, because, and his presence covered the whole, whole earth. And people said, well, see, this is literal. And they go, because the normal span of a man, you know, it co- takes this much room to cover, you know, a thousand miles between, you know, 1500 miles, then God must be this tall and he's this big. And it's like, no, my God is bigger than anything you could imagine. So don't try to make, you know, make this, make this literal. All right. If something is clearly figurative, you take it figuratively. Now, can some of the literal also be figurative? Maybe. But take it what it says first. God says that the ark floated around for a year before it finally settled, and then a couple more months before they finally got out. It floated around for a year. (laughs) All right? And the water was 17 and a half feet above the highest mountain. So we just take a look and say, God, you've said some very specific things. We're going to believe your specifics. So when God says it's going to be tribulation for seven years, 4,000 whatever days that was, you know, twice, it's that long by day. And we will celebrate with him for seven years in heaven. Will it seem like seven years to us? No. Uh, Of course, it might seem longer. I think it's going to seem short. I think when we've been up in heaven for a million or ten billion years, we're going to look back and say, "God, you know, how long's it been? Just started. I just got up here and started worshiping you. It's been how long?" Yeah, and I just—that's my thought on it. Um, But God says that there's a tribulation coming, and He's going to take His children out of the tribulation period before the tribulation period. Now I can understand, you know, maybe going mid-trib, but then that puts it. I now know what time Jesus is returning. All I got to figure out is when the tribulation started and three and a half years later, I know in the tribulation period and then I lose the no one knows. And if he doesn't come, then God lied to us about taking us. Let me let you go through all the problems and then I'm going to rescue you. And we're to take comfort in that. That doesn't make much sense to me to take comfort in, I've gone through all the hard times, lost my life, and then God takes me. So... Look at what it is. Understand what it is you're going to believe. As I said, I can understand the, tri- the mid-tribulation period. You know, at least I haven't gone through the whole time. God's put me through partial, you know, par- trials. I just think the trials are going to start long before the tribulation starts. And this is one of the reasons I'm not so sure God is re- is going to come like tomorrow. He can. Don't get me wrong. But we in America aren't suffering tribulation yet as Christians. We will suffer tribulation before he comes and it's going to start soon i think we need to get prepared for hard times we need to prepare for tribulation and persecution and then we know that god is on his way now i'm not saying that he can't come i mean that's god is god he could come in the next three seconds and i could everything i said could just sound like so much words (laughs) but i don't think he's going to come until we start suffering But the rest of the world does suffer, so we are already in a place where God could come. Most of the world is suffering for God. There are places in the world where if you become a Christian, your life expectancy is less than a year before you're going to die. So there is tribulation out there. There is persecution out there. So Jesus can come anytime he wants because it's out there. The world has been touched for the most part. People, missionary groups keep trying to Subdivide languages and say, Well, this particular language hasn't been been talked to yet. But they understand the languages of other people, so they have been reached. Jesus can come at any moment. They like to they use this so that they can get us out there to, to give them more money. And I want to give them money, don't get me wrong. But I don't need that there's five dialects to this language, and only three of the dialects have been have the language translated, the Bible translated in their language, they probably still understand one or more of the dialects that have it already spoken. They've heard the message. And we want to be careful that we don't get wrapped up in all of this. Jesus can return at any moment. I do believe that we're going to suffer more, especially in America, before he comes. But he can still return because he's God and I'm not. I just look at it and say he told us that we would suffer. Jesus said, you will suffer persecution. And America has been very blessed to not suffer persecution, mostly for being a Christian. And yes, right now I know that many people consider that if they just get teased or lose a job or get given a hard time, they feel like they're being persecuted in America. We haven't seen anything as far as I, can, as I believe. Again, God, God can come tonight if he wants to. He's God. He can say, okay, yeah, you guys have had enough persecution, but the rest of the world really has had persecution. And take us. And the world will have issues. Millions of Christians will disappear in a twinkling of an eye. People driving, their cars will keep moving until they hit something. People doing work on, on machinery that needs careful watching are going to have those machines fall apart. When Jesus comes, this world is gonna be chaotic. Things are gonna be happening, stations are going to be left. I work out of the prison and I can't imagine what's gonna happen in a prison when when Jesus snatches away all the Christians. They panic and when they can't find somebody on a count and have to do emergency counts and hope to find somebody, and all of a sudden they're gonna be missing 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people that know Jesus, maybe more. It's going to cause panics. You know, I also have this picture that maybe most of the Christians will be arrested and behind bars so that most people won't even know that there is a rapture. Because the Christians, will, for the most part, will be behind the bars. And that prison will be in panic, but not, not the world. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how much panic is going to happen in the world. We already know all the stuff that the world is setting out. All this idea of alien abductions and people you know, we already know that they're setting up the, the case that, well, you know, the aliens came and took away all those troublemaking Christians, you know, about time that they did. And they will be be accepted and be shown up. You know, that is a very easy possible answer. That all of a sudden Satan and his and his cohorts show up in some kind of space-looking vessel and show up as the saviors of the earth. We got rid of all of the, all of those bad, terrible. Troublemaking Christians, and now you're free to do what you want. You know, what, you know, what will happen? We don't know. We are seeing things happen. You know, many years ago, we didn't understand how we could have a cashless society. We didn't understand how the whole world would be able to watch the, the two witnesses, the two, two, two priests, prophets in Jerusalem, watch them dead and watch them resurrect. Now we know exactly how it would happen. There'd be a a satellite feed, you know, watch the watch the profits 24-7. You know, we understand how that can happen. We already know that we could easily be in a cashless society and for all practical purposes are. Most of us use debit cards and credit cards almost exclusively and very rarely touch cash. We are practically in a cashless society already. We are so close to the end times that we need to be expecting. Jesus' return. But that should also motivate us to witness and share the gospel with more people because anybody left behind is going to have to go through, we'll say hell on earth. It won't be hell, but it will be just like that. Revelation tells us that 66% of the population is going to die during the tribulation period. Satan wants to kill everybody, but he gets to kill 66% of the population. And yet people are going to come to Christ during that period of time and come to him and be tribulation saints. And what they they will, I don't know. We don't understand what what the difference between them and and the church and the bride is going to be. But we do know 144,000 evangelical Jews are going to witness and teach that Jesus is the Messiah and convert many people. So we know that there's going to be people that are converted Now, maybe they're just converting them to be completed Jews, we don't know. But we know that they're going to come to Christ. And there's going to be all of this going on. But this is what we comfort each other. Jesus is coming soon. This has been the comfort for the church since the beginning. Jesus is coming soon. We must be ready for his coming. And this is very important for us to be able to say, God, you're coming. This is our glory. This is our hope. You know, if, if we die, praise God, we get to be with him in heaven until we get our glorified body. We go, we go with him in spirit. Once he, once he comes, we get our glorified body. And once we're in heaven, that's going to seem like a snap of the finger anyway. You know, I have this picture of heaven being just no time at all. You know, grandma and grandpa who died 50 years ago, and we show up, they're going to kind of be looking at us like, What are you doing here so quick? Well, you know, grandma and grandpa, it's been a hundred years, it's been 50 years. You know, I just got here. Heaven has no time compared to our time. So, literally, heaven could be just a short period of time compared to what we're used to. And we're going to get there, and Adam and Eve just got there. Who knows? (laughs) You know, who knows what heaven's time is like? They only got there a few minutes ahead of us, and we got there. We don't know exactly what, what it will be like, but we will get to go there. I get to go there by just transitioning from this life by dying, or I get to go there with the rapture. You know, 100% of the people are going to die at some point in their life without the rapture. We need to prepare people for their death. It's not if we die, it's not, uh, you know, I, uh, I may die, it is I will die, barring the rapture, I will die. At some point, there will be a generation that has a number of people that don't die during, for that generation. But it is not, we don't know when it's going to be. We need to prepare to live until we die and hope that God is going to take us out before then. But we need to be prepared to live. And share the gospel, and serve God until such time as He returns. And if He gives a rapture, praise God. If I get to die, praise God. Because up until that point, I'm going to serve God the best I know how. I want to teach, and as I've shared, you know, many one side of me wants to be teaching the, at the time that I die. It might be traumatic for the church, so I kind of draw back from it. <laughs> you now I don't know that the church wants to see me die in the middle of a message, but my heart's desire would be to be teaching and die in the middle of teaching. You know, that would be, to me, the greatest thing that I could do, doing what God has called me to do. But you know, I also understand that it might be a little traumatic for the church to watch their pastor die in, right in front of them in mid-sentence of a message. Somebody You're else take over. <laughs> Just let me go. Just let me go home. Yeah, I'm on Don't bring me back. But this is something that is important for us to understand. There's hope. If I die, there's great hope, I'm with God. If things get really bad, there's still great hope because God's coming. that just indicates that God's coming back soon. Or that I'm gonna to get to go home soon by death. This is the great news of, of tribulation. If I become a martyr, praise God. Because martyrs stand up for God and people look at them and say, that person died believing something. Stephen died, and the people are going, huh, he, there was something special, special about him. He affected people's lives by the way he died. Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he gave up, gave up the ghost, and he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and it is finished. And the centurion said, this was the son of god because he watched the way jesus died we read through fox's book of martyrs and so many people give examples of how to die strong for god to be encouragement to other people and be wow that person had strength you know maybe maybe there was something real about what they believed and people get saved when you when the martyrs die we need to be able to say god i'm waiting for that grace I'm waiting for you to give me enough grace to suffer for you, but it's not going to happen if we're not prepared for it. If we think we're going to go along and never suffer, once we do suffer, not the time to be wondering, gee, God, is this, is this really what I should be going through? I need to be ready for what's going to happen. I need to make decisions on what I want to do before things happen. I make the decision that I'm going to honor God with the way I live before I get into the sinful temptation. As I used to tell teenagers, the time to decide what you're going to do with the person of the opposite sex is not when you're in the backseat of the car. It's too late. (laughs) Because at that time, you are not making the right decision. It's too late to make the decision. The the decision was that I'm not going to get in the backseat of the car on on Lover's Lane in the first place. (laughs) Not I'm there, now what do I do? You know, we need to prepare and say, God, I want to be prepared because you're going to bring suffering. Help me be ready when the suffering comes. Not if the suffering comes. We are all going to face trials and tribulations. We're going to suffer hard times. We need to prepare our hearts for that. Not that we can be totally prepared, but we need to be ready, saying, God, I've got my verses, I've got I've got my strength. Help me to walk through this trial. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you, do, Lord, to come in and help us as we look at your strength and your desire. We ask you to give us strength to serve you in all the tribulations that we will face. And Lord, we do pray that you come quickly. Lord, we were waiting for you to come so that we can spend eternity with you and enjoy our new, resurrected, glorified bodies. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.